Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Tech Podcast from Huawei London. As we slowly ease into the new normal, one thing that's high on the agenda is the future of work. And more specifically, if a hybrid home office routine is here to stay. And if so, can it work for everyone? This discussion is hosted by Julian David, CEO of Tech UK, and features Bruce Daisley, author, podcaster, and former VP of Twitter, and Jeremy Thompson, Executive Vice President, Huawei Europe. As our home and office lives become blurred, they share their thoughts on how workers can set new digital boundaries, how businesses can help employees stay happy and engaged, and what positive roles can tech play for an increasingly agile workforce. So here it is, the conversation in full from the recent London Rising event. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. I'm Julia David. I'm the CEO of Tech UK, which is the trade association in the UK for digital technology companies. We cover everything from chips to clicks, uh, and we have 850 member companies, including uh, Huawei, who are the associate uh, company working with uh, the Evening Standard to host this conversation. And I'm delighted to have the conversation with uh, two experts uh, in in this space, both technology and the world of work. Uh, Bruce Daisley, who's former European Vice President of Twitter, a podcaster and also an author, and particularly an author of a book which I think could be very relevant here, Bruce, which is uh, The Joy of Work. And I've practiced very carefully not to get that last word wrong, by the way. But uh, And we also have uh, Jeremy Thompson, who is uh, UK Vice President of Huawei, but a long-term tech leader in a variety of companies and roles. So welcome, Bruce, and uh, welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we are emerging from the pandemic, uh, I think, uh, not uniformly, but it's clear that in the UK, progress is, is being made. We're on a track now. And if we look at London and we think about London, I'd be very interested to, to know what, what do you think, uh, particularly from maybe a larger company perspective, uh, you know, what, what is the way that we're going to be going forward? Are we going to be uh, returning to how it was or are we going to be in a brand new uh, technological future or is it going to be a hybrid of the two? And uh, I mean, Bruce, maybe that's uh, one to start with for you, but then uh, come to you, Jeremy. Yeah, well, uh, look, you know, firstly, thank you for having, having me. Um, I think critically, probably what it's forced us to reflect upon is that the way that technology has advanced in the last 20 years has been dazzling and we haven't adapted the way that we were working at all. We haven't made any accommodations. We haven't really, since the arrival of, of email, we, we've not really reinvented or reimagined um, the, the, the way that we're working. And so, you know, it, it did beg the, the question, what was the point of the internet to some extent? If we were going to spend all this time setting ourselves up with all this technology. What was the point if we weren't going to adapt? I think yeah. what we've seen in the last 12 months, therefore, is, is this realization that effectively we've had stabilizer wheels put on our reinvention. And we've realized, every firm has realized 
that they have, they're far more capable of transformation than they ever believed possible. In fact, I chat to businesses all of, all of the time, and most of them right now are in this, uh, this position where they're saying to themselves, we've demonstrated how capable we are of reinvention. Now we need to give ourselves the, the faith, the conviction that we can keep this going. So I think you know that's going to be the critical thing. I think we've not necessarily seen the the second order effects and third order effects of what's going to happen to our cities, our commercial real estate, the way that commuting works, um, the way that transport next networks have been set up in the past. I don't think we've begin to see the second order effects of that. Um, I think right now we're still in the, the zone where we're looking at firms who are embracing hybrid working and we're believing that this is a choice. And I suspect very quickly we're going to realize firms aren't necessarily going to have as much choices as, as they might initially perceive of that um, because it's going to be market driven. But, uh, you know, an, an intriguing time, I think, for any of us. So uh, I, the number of things I, I want to come back to there, Bruce, but first, if I just come to you, Jeremy, um, I'm trying to work out what big companies are going to do. If you look at things like the recent FT piece, if you look at the various announcements, everybody back to the office. Uh, nobody back to the office. Uh, some people back to the office some days, some people not. Help. You know, what do you think is going to happen? I think, I think Bruce is right that um, people have taken the opportunity of the disruption of the last 12 months to reevaluate um, their values, their business, and um, just say, well, how can we do things better? Um, and I think there's broadly three models um, that people are adopting or planning to adopt. Uh, I think there is uh, one school which is saying, we're gonna go back to as we were before. Um, some people are in that um, school. There's another school which is saying, uh, we uh, will not go back to uh, uh, full-time working. In fact, it's gonna be working from home and the exception is gonna be to work in the office. And then I think there is the, the third school which is, um, uh, the hybrid working, which is, you know, the 60-40, 40-60 split between home and work. And, and I would say that on, on the sample in preparation for this, this call today, I, I spoke to a number of different companies and, and there seems to be that 50% are in, in the hybrid model uh, and sort of 25% in, um, in each of the other models. Um, so the hybrid model looks to be the one that is going to be selected. and. And then, you know, if you look at what companies have done during the lockdown, um, you know, they've said, well, we don't need this expensive office space. Um, and they, some of them have redesigned their offices. Um, and, and it's actually solving some of the long-term problems that they have had with things like um, office accommodation, uh, recruitment, um, targets towards zero um, carbon footprints. And, and they're, they're using this disruption to re-engineer uh, their business and hopefully improve the lives of their customers and, and themselves. So little examples of, you know, like a retail hairdressers, you know, through social distancing had to um, reduce the number of people in their office or in their, in their, in their salons. And uh, they found that by working longer hours, they can have the same throughput of customers uh, but um, now they're going back to, um, let's put it, the, the, the normal, 
uh, they're going to con continue with the longer hours because their customers preferred, um, you know, the shift working of the uh, um, of, of the staff so that they could complete uh, their tasks, but actually through a longer period of time. And it also worked for employees as well. Um, so, you know, we're seeing re-engineering of our workplaces, uh, which have you know, basically been allowed by the, the time of the last 12 months. Just to jump in on something that Jeremy said there. Um, yeah, sure. So Jeremy, um, it's, it's worth calling out that, you know, the, the profile of, of us on this call, where we're all uh, white gentlemen of a certain age. Let's just say that we've we've completed the binge watching of our youth. Um, so we're, we're, we're sort of, we're of a certain age. And here's the interesting thing. What you discover is that the models that Jeremy laid out there, uh, I did some research into this and, and, it and it suggests that firms that are allowing the older white males to make the decisions of what to do are, are more likely to go back to the office. And it's the companies that are inclusive, have got more diversity at the top table, are actually listening to what their teams want, who are, adopting one of the other approaches. So it's really intriguing. If you're finding yourself like Goldman Sachs in an organization, which is saying the way we preferred it was going back to the, the way that things used to be, it may well be that there's the curse of incumbency there, that you've got people who the old system really advantaged saying, let's go back to the old system. And so, you know, that's what I'd say. I think Jeremy so brilliantly articulated there are these, that we're at this fork in the road. And the big opportunity for any of us is to say, let's make sure that the decision we make next is an inclusive one rather than one necessarily that might advantage the winners of the past. Exactly. And you've got companies like Alan and Overy who have uh, polled all of their staff. So, well, what do you think? Um, and, you know, so huge companies are saying, you know, let's take the opportunity, ask, the, ask ourselves the question and then, you know, redesign the business based, based on that. It, this is going to be a key moment for business leadership. Um, this is really a leadership problem, even more perhaps than a technology problem. And, and I agree, Bruce, we've got to listen to our staff because people have got different interpretations of what this means. You know, my daughter is dying to get back in the office um, and my son, similar age, quite happy to work from home. Um, so, you know, it's not an age thing. It's, it's a... Uh, an individual circumstance uh, thing. So let me test you a little bit on this. Uh, I mean, Bruce, you wrote recently about that uh, IT worker in New York, Jonathan Frosty. Uh, you know, it's not all mm. wonderful, is it? I mean, the guy had a heart attack uh, uh, posted on LinkedIn. And he attributed that to the, the lifestyle of working at home. You, you recently had the founder of Zoom saying, I'm fed up with doing Zoom calls. Uh, there is a, now apparently, there's always a medical condition, isn't there? But there is apparently a, a, a clear medical condition of too much video, too much looking at yourself. I share that. I certainly share that. So, you know, it, it's not all upside, this, uh, this sort of technology-enabled work, is it? Do you want to touch a little bit on that, Bruce? Yeah, I think firstly, it's, um, uh, it's, it's worth having a cautionary note. You know, we've worked in a really extreme. We've gone from from yin to yang, from from neither to, to both, to, to either. You know, like we've gone from uh, this extreme. And I think anyone who's had to deal with fer children going feral in the next room or the fact that they've, they've been queuing outside Tesco's for an hour and a half to buy a four pack, um, the, the, you know, we, we know that we've worked in something that probably isn't going to be the norm. Um, I think 
no doubt most of us have recognised that we've been given a clear signal that some of this isn't right, that doing constant video calls just feels exhausting. Um, it begs the question, are we communicating too much? Are we putting too much of a premium of just talking to each other? Is, is too much of our work done, uh, spoken out loud? And so it's actually, as a provocation, for the right firms, the firms who are thinking, well, it looks like there's going to be a boisterous economy as we exit this year. We're going to go into a pretty robust and healthy economy. Someone might say, let's use that moment. Let's let's use the, that economic advantage as a moment to challenge some of these things that we've done. Now, I spoke to, to one organization yesterday and they'd said to me something really intriguing. They'd said, we've segmented our meetings into two different categories. There are the meetings that we are kind of like check-ins. I call these convergent meetings, like a maths test. There's one version of the answers and we're just trying to converge on an agreement of what those answers are. And then these the meetings where we have, where there's a bit of argy-bargy, there's a bit of, you know, back and forth, people disagreeing with each other. I think of them as divergent meetings where we're sort of, we've got a plurality of opinions. They've said, we're really agreed that those convergent meetings, we're gonna do them as Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams calls, whatever they are. Monday, we'll go through all our Teams calls. It kind of works. We've found a rhythm where it kind of works. Those meetings where there's a bit of as your father, where there's a bit of argy-bargy, arguments over the table, um, actually, we're gonna do them face-to-face. Really intriguing. I think it's sort of saying we've learned something from this experience. The ones where there's going to be a bit of dispute, a bit of constructive disagreement. We want to be in the room together to remind ourselves that we do love each other. We can have a, a, a legally mandated hug at the end. And so as a consequence, I think, you know, we're working out those different things that we can learn from the technology and uh, we can advance work on the back of that. So, yeah, uh, very interesting. Jeremy, let me maybe take that. You mentioned the idea of surveys. You said survey the way that uh, Tech UK is a small organisation. We're 65 people, normally based in, in, in St. Bride Street in London. And obviously, we're, we're, we're over the place. So, we've, we've done a survey of our staff. I have to say, the answer was, don't really know. Uh, I know what I like and what I don't like. I don't really know what I want to do or how I want to work uh, going mm. forward. And, and you talk about leadership. You know, how, how does leadership work in that context? You know, the, do we know? Do you take that? Do, oh. do you take a view? You know, the Goldman Sachs. This is how it's going to be, or do you say we'll suck it and see as we go along? So I think it, it, it is a leadership issue, and um, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, what is the point of the office? Um, and we may not get to the right answer first time, um, mm -hmm. uh, but it's worth asking that question and you know reevaluating and um, and then may maybe changing plans slightly. I mean, I know of one huge engineering company that decided very early on that uh, it was not going to have all its staff uh, based in its offices. So it took the opportunity while people were not in the office to redesign the whole workspace, taking out. So individual offices and have hot desks and meeting areas and following the example of some of the tech companies who have used uh, their sort of canteen area as a sort of hub for the for, for the business, uh, making it you know sort of comfortable and plenty of spaces to sit down as opposed to a functional eating area. Um, and just basically re redesigned their, their business. I mean, that's a huge capital expenditure. 
Uh, but in addition to uh, to that, they've also been able to hire engineers from the north of England that they've historically not been able to hire because they've always insisted that they work in the office. So they're sort of solving their recruitment problem um, by uh, increasing the size of their talent pool. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in some ways we're, we're solving some of the historic problems by re-engineering our, our business and office spaces to allow us to, uh, um, you know, include, include others in different ways of working. But I think the net is, is that we've got to take these baby steps, um, experiment, get the feedback. If it works, great, do more of it. If it doesn't work, um, then, uh, then, then revisit it. You know, I worked in a distributed organization for many years. Um, and, you know, I found where, where you had a small number of people who were permanently away from the office and a large number of people permanently in the office, those who were out of the office became disenfranchised. And some of the techniques that we use there of, you know, bringing them in for, for key events um, and, you know, open discussions became really important. And, you know, the walk in the park and, you know, the pint in the pub and is sort of the nonverbal communications that you get in the office. Uh, we, we need to incorporate those into uh, into how we operate. And I think that's, that's you know, these are very interesting, but I think that's, you were saying the same thing, uh, I think, Bruce. Let, let me take you perhaps to a question of, you know, along with leadership, uh, what about trust? And is there a danger that the technology you know, I, I live this with our organisation, our members all the time, this, that people need to trust the technology and that it's a good thing. And you see a lot of comments about, you know, uh, work monitoring, keystroke monitoring, video monitoring, you know, are your eyes shut, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which is sort of the new management suspicion of the duvet day working from home potential, isn't it? Well, Bruce, I'd be interested, perhaps, first of all, your view on this, you know, it's, you need a different sort of leadership, don't you? And, but you need to maintain the trust of your people. And if you do recruit engineers from the north or from India or wherever, if the objective of doing that is just to lower your costs, is that actually a healthy thing for an organisation? Yeah, Which I mean, I, I, do sub I, I do subscribe to the idea that we can trust engineers from the north. But... Um, but these, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, look, I'm open-minded. So can they let's, trust let's us? Not rule anything I, in. what I was asking. <laughs> let's not rule anything in. Let's not rule anything out. It's too early to say. Um, it's a really intriguing thing, isn't it? There was a piece of research in January that said that 41% of people were, were getting ready to quit their job. It's almost like there's been this careers transfer window that we look yeah. at people who've switched jobs right now going, great. Good, good on you. Not for me. I want to sort of, I want to, I want to see something that's a bit more tangible. But there, there does seem to be this careers window that a lot of people are thinking. I've just had a diabolical year and a half staring into my screen, and when I get the opportunity, I'm going to, I'm going to move to pastures new. It's really intriguing. It does represent a, a big opportunity for us to use. Websites like Glassdoor, there's probably other places that are better that that um, that actually give us an insight into what it's like to working in different companies. So I suspect a lot of people. I remember chatting to one person who said, "You know, my week is that I start my first video call at eight thirty on a Monday morning," and he said, "I do over forty hours of video calls." 
Imagine that. I always think, do you remember when our mums used to scold us for being too close to the television? Too close to telly. That we, if she'd known, if our poor mums had known the future that we were marching into, willingly marching into, she'd have been heartbroken. And so, you know, I, I do think there's probably going to be a degree the more transparency there can be between people describing their experience of work, I think the, the more likely we're going to get to something that feels slightly more sustainable, more considerate to our well-being. Yeah, and just to pick up on that as well, I, I read a stat that said last year was a record year for people starting their own businesses. And I, I've had personal experience of this, people picking up on that moment and saying, well, everything's changed and, uh, you know, here I am. So, Jeremy, you know, are you are you seeing that when you look around, uh, uh, you know, that actually maybe the this is where we become a nation of small businesses rather than big corporations, big offices, uh, entrepreneurial stuff. And obviously, we're going to get to this in a minute. What does that mean for London? You know, if everybody starts a small business uh, in, in Bromsgrove or somewhere, you know, it, what, or Bromley, what are they going to do about coming into London? Yeah, I, I think any disruption is an opportunity for uh, invention. And, you know, we've been through a major, a major disruption. And I think, you know, in the same way, the businesses have looked at themselves, individuals have looked at themselves and said, is this really, is this really what I, what I want? And, um, and then made decisions to move or to set up, to set up their business. You know, we're, we're seeing that, um, and you know now now's a pretty good time, pretty good time to to do it. I mean, London has been through so many changes over the years. In my own work experience, you know, we went through sort of big bang deregulation, regulation. You know, we've had we've had Brexit. Um, it's a hugely uh, resilient and inventive city, and I have no doubt that it will emerge from uh, the last 12, 18 months or so uh, stronger. Um, as we all take that opportunity to reevaluate, you know, what we really want to do and put our shoulder into that activity. Uh, there will be movement between companies and you know, those companies who work 100% flexible may not be um, appropriate for some people who want to work, you know, in the office all the time and vice versa. So I think there will be sort of natural movement uh, be between, um, between organizations and people starting up, uh, up, up, up their business as well. Uh, but you know th this point of of trust and uh, sort of governance. You, you know we, we were talking about earlier on. I just want to come back to that very briefly. You know if you sit in an open plan office um, with the boss at one end, the boss can see everyone in the room, um, and you know whether they you know go to the photocopier or get themselves a coffee. Somehow that seems all right. We got used to that. But if you insist on an always on. Um, you know, camera when you're sitting at home, that doesn't feel right. Certainly doesn't feel right to me. Um, and and so, you know, we, we do need to understand what, you know, the technology will enable and what, what the technology perhaps gives us a sort of different uh, feeling from the same kind of experiences. Um, so, so I think, you know, the, the governance about this flexible working and how we translate the culture of our organization and the trust that we have in the way we currently do our business into the future is 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 really is really key. So that as people make those decisions to start their own business, to change to change their job, or to work flexibly when historically they've worked 
in uh, you know 100 in, in the office will will i think be critical to the success of the new models thanks and, and bruce are you as confident london will come back uh, big city oh, the listen. global city above all and 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 does that work i mean world? i think we're going to reflect I think we'll reflect in five, 10 years on how London had lost its mojo at the time we were, we've just gone through and how this was the making of it. Cities aren't vibrant if young people can't afford to live in them, if artists can't afford to live in them. You know, we hear the glory days mm -hmm. of Soho that had, you know, artists, writers, poets living there. No one can afford to live it. Houses should not, flat should not cost a million pounds. And what you do with, becoming sort of abeyant to the, the gods of money is you create cities that aren't inclusive and aren't interesting. People with money generally aren't that interesting. That's the sad truth of it. And if we want a city that's technicolor and full of life, then this could be the making of it. Now, I'm very much of the opinion, if we follow the Morgan Stanley uh, prediction, which is that 20% of real estate won't be needed anymore, then the question becomes, how do we fill that and how do we flip that into residential housing? I said this to, to someone the other day and they said, oh, the track record of converting commercial real estate to residential is wretched. Great, then let's get ahead of it. Let's let's set up regulations. Let's let's not bail out firms that are struggling. Let's the government buy them, acquire them, turn them into, uh, into social housing, housing for young people, loft living. And um, one local council said to me right at the start of this, they said, we had no capability, one London council, we had no capability of people working remotely. None of our people had laptops. Within a month, everyone had laptops, we were working remotely. Within two months, they decided that they were either gonna sell one of their buildings or convert it into uh, residential property for, for, their, for <laughs> the, the people who live in their borough. Fantastic. We need more of this. I know it's not going to be easy, but I genuinely believe we'll look back and we'll say, oh, wow, that was such a, an important moment of making London into a vibrant, exciting and, and habitable place again. I'm really I'm very optimistic on it. Optimists always find themselves running aground and finding that sadly life isn't that good. I'm, I'm, I'm uncowed. I'm incredibly optimistic that this is the making of the next generation of London. Look, we, I'm, I'm almost tempted to end on that, you know, that, that very positive <laughs> note. But, but we, you know, let, let me just go a little bit further into that, Jeremy. So this essentially says, OK, stop being an office park and start being somewhere where people want to live because they're able to and because they enjoy it. Uh, you know, what's your perspective on that from, from a, a big company point of view and from the customers that you work with? What, what do people need to do? And, and what message should we give to the political leaders? We haven't really seen a lot about this in the, in the recent election discussions. What, what do they need to do to London to make it really the sort of place Bruce is talking about? Yeah, I, I agree with Bruce's um, optimism. Uh, and, you know, when, when things appear to be nuts, um, like the price of property in London, like the fact that people are congested in uh, cramped trains, you know, for you know one or two hours a day, and they're you know empty for the rest of the day. Um, there has to be a correction, and I think this is the opportunity uh, for for that correction. And you know, we will see a lot of innovation in terms of how we use the current resources that we have. Um, what's my message um, to uh, politicians and others is 
is that we need to um, invest in the infrastructure um, to make this work. You know, when we moved to home working, you know, many, many people moved seamlessly, but not everybody. Um, and, you know, including in central London, there are still plenty of not spots in terms of uh, broadband connectivity. You know, a friend of mine called me from central Hammersmith early on and said, can you help me? I, I can't get broadband. Um, you know, there are many examples of uh, people in the city with poor um, connection um, either to their home or within inside their home. So we need to make sure that we do not delay the rollout of fiber to the premise, uh, which I think is a fundamental infrastructure to enable this sort of flexible uh, working uh, to take place. Okay. And also, if we see empty offices, I agree, we've got to find ways of converting offices into, into proper homes um, and enabling people to stay in the city. I was a student in London. I came here as a student um, and I stayed for many, many years. Um, loved the city, um, seen it change, seen it adapt over the years. Um, and I feel optimistic that uh, this is an opportunity for us to, uh, to, to regenerate and regrow. Excellent. So we can do it. We should do it. Thank you both very much. Can I just ask you maybe one tip to people, individuals? What, what's, what would be your one tip for any individual to the, the post-pandemic, the future? You know, what would you say to do? Get some tech skills, um, think about starting a business, manage your work-life balance, stop commuting. What would, what would you say, Bruce? One, one tip for people. Yeah, I think to some extent we've all reflected on what an act of, of mass delusion it was that we needed uh, uh, to get on the daily commute, to do this, this long trudge. And to some extent, we've gone into something similarly hypnotic. We're doing all these video calls. And so if any of us reflect right now, when we feel like we are ignited by our jobs and, and we try to steer towards that, you know, as as I said before, the uh, the work the hybrid working debate is one of inclusion and articulate your case to your work. Explain to your work that you want to carry on working flexibly in some capacity. I think you know trust has increased in this era. We've demonstrated that people can work when they're not sitting next to each other, and I would strongly urge people to try and ensure that they don't compromise and, and go and work for organisations that are going to en enable them to work in that way. So take control of things. Jeremy, would you echo that yeah. or, or would you have a different yeah. perspective? I, I would add, I would say there's, there's a great question that you know, a lot of us have asked ourselves um, as, as we've been through the last year or so, you know, what is the point? What is the point of the office? Yeah. What's the point of the Zoom yeah. meeting? Um, is there a better way of doing this? Um, and can we take the opportunity to do it differently? And, and I think the, the final point to the leaders of of our organizations is, is listen to your staff um, because what they say um, what should steer how you rebuild your organization. And I think those leaders that listen to their staff and continue to listen um, to their staff uh, will probably be prevail in the future. Thanks very much. And let me conclude then by thanking you both, Bruce Daisley and Jeremy Thompson. Really interesting discussion. It's been great chatting with you. So, there we have it. 
the future of hybrid home office. Only time, of course, will shape what this looks like, but with the challenges and opportunities presented, one thing is for certain, it's opened up the discussion of what work could look like in the years to come. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Do join us for future podcasts and don't forget to like and subscribe. Until next time, thanks for listening. Listening.